Shalom Aleichem, all my people and my Yahudim. Happy weekend. Enjoy your Friday. Let's get into the final part of marriage. And I'm starting to get just a little less scared now that I'm understanding this stuff. Anyways, let's jump into it. I've got a lot of thoughts. Uh, Let's do this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get back into a book that is just, I don't know if it's scaring me more about marriage or actually making me feel better. But chapter nine is where we're going to get right back in. It's titled Commitment. And it starts out with constraints. Yes, that's the topic we're talking about. And I'll remind everybody coming in here. This, yes, it's a marriage book. But honestly, it's more of just a relationship book. Like how to deal and enhance any relationship you have, anyone you live with. So let's get right in here. Constraints. It says that every marriage has constraints. And again, I'll repeat it. When you hear the word marriage in these in these book summaries, just substitute that for friendship, roommate. Well, I said before, roommate's a little radical. Maybe friendship, uh, sibling, <laughs> okay, the relationship you have with siblings you live with. Or just partner. Maybe you have a girlfriend or boyfriend right now or a partner. And yes, you can thrive in that relationship using some of these tips. The authors here say that happy marriages. Oh, well, here comes the eyes. <sighs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Okay. The book says that happy marriages use constraints as glue. However, unhappy ones use them as toxins. Constraints can actually help you during tough times. And remember, constraint people is just something that's restricting. So let's take what they just said, that happy marriages use constraints as glue. An example would be finances. Let's say y'all are restricted financially to certain things. If it's a happy marriage, you're going to embrace and connect over that. If it's an unhappy marriage, you're going to let that narrative that you're restricted with your finances create pain. And then that pain you're going to actually project onto your partner. And, and now everyone's confused. They don't, they've taken everything too personally when it actually has nothing to do with each other. It has to do with these external factors. So don't let external factors project onto your partners. And next thing you know, you all think things are personal when they're not. Apparently, fun fact, it is a quick tip. Dedication is what makes a relationship thrive, apparently. Dedication. You got to be dedicated. It's a prerequisite. There was a survey done. Remember, this book was made in the 90s. But there was a survey done. Apparently, women see less satisfaction in sacrifice during a marriage than men. Is this true in your life regarding relationships? Do you find that the the woman has less, satisfa- less satisfaction in regarding sacrifice than men? The book says, don't be a martyrdom, martyrdom. You're wondering, what is this? I had to actually Google it. This is someone who does something to put someone in debt. And you're thinking, well, that's a little radical. Why would they use the term martyrdom? No, think about this. Think how often people are taking tabs on each other, keeping score. It's like the worst thing you can do in a relationship. Now, something, for example, like taking the garbage out for someone, okay? This can be masked. And when I say this, I mean being a martyrdom doing something to put someone in debt that can be masked as dedication if you're wondering what i mean you take the garbage out for someone but then you hold it against them you didn't actually do it for them you did it for yourself because you want to hold it against them and use it as ammo that is debt and they have to repay you you feel like they are obligated to repay that debt that is not fair never do that here are some ways to assess constraints apparently number one here 
Look at these steps it would take to end a relationship and how much time and effort it would require. Okay, that's a way to assess the constraints. Assess them also by um, the sacred bond between two people and if it should be broken or not. Would you have trouble finding a suitable partner if that relationship ended? Do your friends and family want this relationship to work? Would you lose valuable possessions by leaving your partner? Some people think that they'd say this, would my partner be emotionally devastated if I left? So even if I wanted to leave, I'm not going to. That's a, that's an issue right there. Another one, I couldn't make it financially if we broke up or divorced. God, that's a rough one. Those are the worst relationships. Here's one. My lifestyle will be worse in many ways if I left my partner. Hmm. That sounds very codependent. That can be messy. I feel trapped in this relationship. Well, that's that's a red flag. That is straight up toxicity and potentially abuse. My goodness. Number 10 here. It is important to finish what you've started no matter what. Hmm. That also... People, let me tell you now. Don't trust that. that. I don't agree at all with that. Quitting is okay. Okay? I don't know why and who stigmatized quitting. People say, never give up, kid. Never give up. And... They mean it in such a broad general term, but let's get nuanced. It's okay to quit if it's going to propel you to something greater. But obviously some young bubbler doesn't understand the context there. That to quit something, because it's the sunk cost fallacy, is going to actually put you in a better place. So anyways, that, some of the things you were thinking about while I was going through there, it tells you a lot, right? What are your greatest constraints in your relationships? The things that are restricting you. Feeling trapped is not good. Feeling like you're constrained, it could propel you towards goals of, uh, of better things. So the authors here, they say the greatest marriages have two partners who are dedicated, and that's because their constraints mean stability and succession, okay? For example, if you're being constrained to your business, okay, that's a restriction in your life, and um and it says here constrained to your business with them because the two of you scale faster together okay that's an example being constrained to a business with your partner because together you scale faster together so that's a restraint right that's a restriction a constraint that if if it wasn't for your partner it actually is a glue for the relationship it, you are both reaching your goals faster because of that constraint and now let's look on the contrary you want to start your own business but you can't afford to since you uh your network your networking is tied to your joint venture with your spouse okay or i think what i meant there is just that your spouse isn't part of your network and therefore makes it harder and then here there are a bunch of prompts like a bunch of things to show that you know dedication might be key to your life here there's a 10 of them but i'll just like i'm just looking roughly here i'm not seriously attached to anyone other than my partner uh excuse me when push comes to shove my relationship with my partner comes first like okay stuff like that these are dedicated people we get it Ooh. anyways there's this whole scoring system right this book tries to keep things very practical like that you've probably seen that trend um, but then there are some things here if you like thought-provoking questions and comments here are some for you it's like what is your outlook on your relationship so again let, let's forget about marriage let's think about any relationship in your life right now what is your outlook on your relationship right now like when you, what's the, what are the first thoughts that come to mind? What is your outlook? You have a long-term view. Do you have a long-term view? If you have a long-term view, are you comforted by it? Or do you feel trapped by that long-term view? 
Next, to what degree do you engage in scorekeeping with your partner? Is it a passive-aggressive way of scorekeeping, or is it assertive? <laughs> Regardless, it's not good, but the passive-aggressive way, can holy, that can build up tension and toxicity. Do you try to notice the positive efforts more with your partner? I'll let that one sink in. Do you think that some things are unfair and feel the need to confront your partner about them? Will you do that constructively when you confront them? Does your orientation, sorry, sorry. Does the orientation of your marriage reflect more selfishness regarding you two or team-centered sensitivity? Pretty much, are you selfish in a marriage or do you guys work like a team? You doing your own thing or a team thing? And honestly, some of these, you can tell the questions are geared towards positive or negative connotations. This one's neutral. There's, people work very well being selfish, doing their own thing, as long as the team part is with your children. But you tell me, I don't know, are you selfish or a team all the time or sometimes? And I'm, I'm curious, like, what, in what situations are you guys a team? In which situations are you guys selfish? What kind of things do you do that express selfishness in your relationship? Do you hear me? That was like a tongue twister. Selfishness in your relationship. What things do you do to demonstrate a desire to meet your partner's needs? And then I'm going to add a question here that's not on here is where do you compromise there? So what things will you not desire your partner's needs on? Which things will you consciously say, no, I am not going to make my partner feel good because that I, I can't compromise there. That's just too much for me. I don't know. Think about the priorities in your life. For example, work or your partner or your, um, your partner or children, hobbies, extended family, religion, education, travel, pets, television, sports. Pretty much it says you're like, List your five biggest priorities in order of their importance to you. Now list what you think are your partner's priorities. Do you think your relationship would benefit if you change any of your priorities? Really think about that. If your relationship is going well, what do you think is the most important factor in keeping it that way? These are really, really good things. And I'm going to try and take the time actually, just because I'm not with anyone, but I do live with my brother. I have my whole life. And uh, let's actually have fun with this. Just off the top of my head, I think some of my priorities definitely is in the evening quiet so that people aren't woken up. And I know it sounds minor, but like just off the top of my head is like sleep. And then uh, definitely not to mess with people like the public space. I, what I mean by this is like we have a roommate as well. So the shared space is crucial to keep that cl- clutter free. It's not fair to anyone to have someone's stuff all over the, the open public space like our living room areas, the kitchen and whatnot. So uh, the room's off limits, but like, I'm just saying, so my priorities right now is like the places where everyone congregates together to keep clutter free. And so that's my priorities. But then if I had to guess my brother's priorities, it would be probably, um, just right off the top of my head, no nagging, but that's not like a priority. He doesn't prioritize no nagging, like not to get on anyone. Probably, hmm, probably knowing where his stuff is. Definitely the ability to relax, watch TV and game. Like, but that's already, and I respect that priority. His like, no one interferes with his entertainment stuff. I think a priority both of us share actually is just no like beard trimmings and hair and stuff in the bathroom. Again, these places we share, we don't want nasty. 
So we respect that. Now the question, the question, do you think your relationship would benefit if you change any of your priorities? I think if I change my priority of the clutter, sometimes there have been a few times where it bugs him when I put his things in his room just because they're just like out there. He doesn't like that. So that, that would technically benefit the relationship, but would it? Because then I might resent him. So I don't know. I don't know. And here it says, if, if your relationship is going well, what do you think is the most important factor in keeping it that way? And for us, I think it's just laughing, the jokes. I think the most important factor is to not care so much about the little things. That's something we both do well. If it's something that is minor and is not going to affect us a month down the road, even a week, we, we literally brush it off in T minus 60 seconds. We don't care. Now, going back to some of the other questions like selfishness and team-centered sensitivities, we um we kind of do more selfishness like we just take care of what we have to take care of and then the only contextual aspect would be we're teammates when it comes to managing our roommate because it like we own so it's technically a, a tenant and like that's a team-based thing and then the bathrooms and uh any capex meaning like th things that pop up a broken water heater or bathroom reno or just like random things that break and then we have to fix uh yeah i think we got a good system anyways we're gonna get to chapter 10 i gotta i want to start speeding through this i'm only gonna say the stuff that really jumps out to me but there is actually I, I don't know why i wrote down a lot of stuff for this book it probably reflects how scared i am of marriage people just like i'm writing down everything because i don't want to like forget any of this all right this was an extremely random fact Apparently, more religious women reported a greater sex life in terms of both orgasmic frequency and openness of communication regarding sex compared to non-religious women. And then I said here, like, I'm not sure how much I believe that. Uh, it's just still funny to me. It's like kind of an obscure thing to study. Like, imagine people openly volunteering for that study. I want you to hear some things to ponder, okay? What was your core belief or beliefs growing up and how did your family practice those beliefs or that one belief? Because that's going to really affect relationships you got down the road. What was the meaning of marriage in that belief system? Was it even talked about? What's your family's... Well, actually, just what is your belief about divorce? Which usually reflects some of your family's belief about it. How do you observe religious holidays? Is that going to be a barrier for you? Is that going to affect your relationship? How do you want to raise kids? That's another thing. Like People don't talk about it until they're already seeing someone and want to get married. They're like, right, let's talk about kids now. Hey, I am not at all in a position to say what's right or wrong. I personally want to bring that up early on in a relationship, not years later. Then again, I also am antsy and do not like to waste time. And I just feel like it's kind of a waste of time. If like, if I'm at the point in my life where I'm going to marry someone, like I'm not dating for fun anymore. I'm going to date to marry. And I, I don't know. I, I just want to waste time. If Like, I don't want to wait a whole year to, to ask someone, hey, how do you want to raise kids one day? I think it's going to pop up in the first like three months. Now, that is if I really like them. If I'm still feeling it out after three months, because I've done this, where I'm just like, I don't know if I can, if I fully, fully am compatible with this person. So I'm just feeling it out. And, and literally, like, three months have gone by, and I'm like, ah, I don't really feel it. So then I, I end it. And I haven't even gotten deep with the person yet, because I'm still taking that time to be like, do I feel close enough with them? I can start getting deeper. And if, and that's just my way. Like, I'm again, there is no right way to go about this. Some people like to wait a long time to get deep with people. I'm just not that type of person. I like to get deep pretty early. I don't like small talk. Unless it's at work. Then I do tons of small talk at work. 
Actually, fun fact, I take pride in my small talk. I am like the CEO schmoozing. I know how to just talk about whatever is going on in the world and ask people about their lives. Uh, I'm the CEO, but I don't necessarily enjoy doing this. So with friends and people I care about, I just jump to the chase. Cut to the chase, sorry. Anyways, here are some things to think about as well. Do you got schooling beliefs? What's Do you have beliefs around charity? Do you expect to give as a certain amount? Because remember, finances are why a lot of people get divorced and break up. Or even if they don't get divorced or break up, finances cause a lot of arguments. Is there a specific charity you'd want to give to? Now, this this one, this one, you'd be like, why do people care what charity you give to? It's actually so like um, I'm, I'm Jewish. Uh, you guys knew I'm, you guys know I'm Jewish. Jews give to a lot of charities and uh, it's, it's part of the religion. Actually, you have to. According to Jewish law, halakha, you have to give 10%. I'm going to watch. I'm probably butchering this. I don't know. Something like 10% of your wealth you have to give to charity. Um, so, or 10% of your salary or something like that. So, like, some people wouldn't want to give all their money to one place. I don't know. I don't know. It's something that actually you'd be surprised would be a conversation. What are your beliefs around forgiveness? Do those beliefs around forgiveness apply to your relationship at all in any way? Also, what is your responsibility to one another? Think, excuse me, think about that. Talk about that. Remember that this book talks about expectations a lot, and you should know what you expect your responsibilities to be in regards to each other. What are your sexual beliefs around relationships? How early you want to start having sex? What kind of sex you both enjoy? Um, when to have sex, when not to have sex? What, like... All the the questions you have to think about regarding sex. Like, what's your... Do you... Maybe one person, based on their history and traumas, maybe sex is a very uncomfortable thing and vice versa. I don't know. And uh, that's pretty much it for chapter 10. Chapter 11, it jumps into forgiveness. And obviously forgiveness. Like, if you're in it for the long haul, this is a big thing to talk about for marriage. One of the definitions of forgiveness, you can go look it up. It's giving up the right to someone being in your debt or owing you. You have to give that up. Imagine if someone, imagine this, they owe you money. To forgive is, imagine you're just saying, okay, you don't have to pay me back. That's forgiveness. And thinking metaphorically in life, all the debt people are in because someone's done you terribly wrong. And true forgiveness is going, keep the money. Just keep it. Metaphorically, keep the money. Forget about, you're just forgetting about what happened. And I've talked about this with Scott on his podcast. You guys might have remembered this. Is forgiveness really is about acceptance and then understanding no one's at fault ever you can't blame anyone when you understand everyone's projecting that is no one's fault ever and you're going to say take accountability well the person that can take accountability has been taught how to take accountability and so then even then you can't take that personal you got to thank whoever taught them that it wasn't their attribute organically they they possess that from someone they're borrowing that characteristic that piece of intelligence from someone else who taught them how to be accountable right in regards to broken trust the book just pretty much says talk it out you got to talk things out that's that was the gist of this whole book actually is like communication just communicate that's this whole book's thesis is pretty much communicate with your partner openly completely transparently talk about how you think and feel no matter how uncomfortable otherwise assumptions will be made anyway so broken trust talk it out and then they drop this line here expect healing to take time they mentioned that it's your choice to heal a relationship. And I really like that. That's like a really good line. Expect healing to take time. It is your choice to heal a relationship. 
on both ends. That's why I like that line. Think about it. Like, both people, it's their choice whether or not they want to heal the relationship. Because the person that did something wrong, and the, who was the catalyst, okay, you apologize, try and fix it. So that's your choice to try and fix it. And then the person receiving the apology who's being hurt, it's also their choice if they want to heal the relationship. If they want to leave it damaged and leave, that's on that. That's okay. So both people have to choose. That's what's really empowering about that. Chapter 12, it's titled Preserving Friendship. And you're going to wonder, like, why are they talking friendship? Well, you're, you're friends. If you get married, you're friends with them. <laughs> you have to be. The The book mentions that you have to, you must have a friend in your spouse. Because if you aren't careful, you'll just talk about problems and concerns, like a married couple. If you're, However, friends, they don't just talk about their problems and concerns. Think about the friends you hang with. You guys probably talk about fun, loose shit. You just make jokes about politics. You make jokes about life. You have to do the same with your partner. And that's the great thing about friends, right? Um, you just talk about all that stuff and, and you leave the problems aside, but you can't completely ignore them. And that's where you need a friend in your spouse, but you also need a spouse in your friend. These authors believe you let the love die. It's a bit of a hot take, but they're, but they're saying once it dies, your achievements in the marriage turn to dust. I put here in brackets, okay, like my thoughts at the time when writing that. That's refreshing because I've always thought losing the love was inevitable and out of your hands. So that is so true, people. Uh, I'm just thinking of so many conversations I had with Scott and some of my best friends about like, how if I'm going to fall out of love, like if you're married to someone for 50 years, it's inevitable. You are going to fall out of love. But but here, this is refreshing. That belief of mine, which you can tell it's a serious belief of mine because I just said that with such conviction. I need to unlearn that and just kind of go with the flow because the authors, they say you let the love die. That is your choice. And so I agree. Like, Man, that's and the book doesn't talk about it here, but like I want you guys to actually think about this. Like, how do you keep that love going? Do you have to just always remember the spark? Like, what was the catalyst to making you fall in love with that person? I don't know. I don't know. Or just having fun. Maybe it's being friends more. I'm thinking about this. Like, with my friends, when I'm hanging with my friends, I don't want to be anywhere else. I can hang with them for hours when we're laughing and whatever. Time slows down when that happens. So maybe with a partner. I should be doing the same thing as just trying to be a friend with them. I don't know. Or, you know, sex does for some people again. And notice when I mentioned a few minutes ago up top, they say like have deep conversations about sex because it means something different for everybody. But for me personally, like sex is, is quite the anchor in a relationship. A lot of relationships can be saved because of sex and just your, your sexual relationship with one another. And so I'm thinking like that also is a way to keep the love going. And I know sex doesn't equate to love, right? Like, but I'm just saying it for part for couples, it can really help. And, and if you're wondering why I'm talking about this in so much hypotheticals, because like I've had barely any girlfriends throughout my life. Uh, and so I, this is all it's the fear of the unknown as well. Honestly, the fear of the unknown. That's why I, marriage scares me. That's why I'm reading books like this. And this is why I talk in hypotheticals. A lot of this is unknown to me. And I don't know, I've never been with someone for that long. So yeah, um, and, and it's funny because I don't even feel inclined. That's the weird thing. People are like, oh, just don't force it. But it's like, I just don't even feel inclined. I don't want to wait till I'm 30 to feel inclined. Like what, and what if I don't then? Like, 
So, and I don't want to get older and be like, oh, I wish I did. I wish, I wish, I wish. And this is this tug of war psychologically throughout our life where we just start thinking and assuming how we'll feel in the future. We don't know how we'll feel in the future, but we assume so. And we make decisions now based on how we think we'll feel down the road. So anyways, that's why it's crazy. That all came out of me just being like, oh, I have to, I would be letting love die, but maybe not. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. So chapter 13, it's, <laughs> there was like nothing good in this chapter. The, the gist of this chapter, if you only work hard and never have fun, then all your rewards from that hard work don't matter because you're divorced or fighting with your partner. Plus, then they said some other cringy kind of ways to have fun. Like, just have fun. It's, it's, it's how you, you, you know, it's how, if, if you don't have fun, uh, you're not, oh yeah, it's how you knew to get married. And then I said, unless you're Orthodox, like in some religions that like really strict religions, you don't really have fun before you get married. Like here I'm saying, that's how a person even knows they want to get married. You have fun with someone. So just have fun. Otherwise, um, I said, unless you're Orthodox, cause then they just pretty much match make. So to go back to the beginning there to reiterate, like, you could work hard and never have fun and yeah you might have the big house and kids and stuff but like (laughs) if you're not having fun the marriage is gonna die out chapter 14 talked about sex uh, all about sex but i didn't make too many notes here just some quick tips like make sex a ritual it has to be a ritualistic thing for your relationship apparently according to these people and then focus on being sensual versus sexual that oh my god that is such a golden tip um so when they say sensual they mean the stuff that isn't just penetration like like massages cuddling words of affirmation touching certain touches right like where touching people and again not just penetration oral licking like all this uh, little things like that 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 are sensual (laughs) now they say go sensual if your sex life is lacking if it isn't lacking keep doing what you're doing and (laughs) keep having a good time um also if there's ever a pursuer withdrawer situation regarding sex it can lead to a lot of conflict quite quickly and if you're wondering what is a pursuer withdrawer situation this is someone wants to pursue and someone is withdrawing it's it's cat and mouse and that can cause issue so explore the sensual washing your partner's hair that's something i never heard of until this book that i didn't think about it but it actually could be quite a sensual thing to do with one another um some other things that I didn't expect to hear like making a meal together. I didn't, I never think of that as a sensual thing. I guess you could make it sensual, but I don't know. And then sitting next to each other and share the meal, like right next to each other. I, I thought that could be sensual. Um, sharing a fantasy you've had about your partner. That's just honestly a sensual thing. And then um, as you talk to cuddle or hug, not just sitting there. Anyways, that was a quick chapter, but chapter 15 and the final chapter <laughs> titled ancient wisdom. And just one quick note here was that the conclusion was wrapping everything up, saying that everything you learn in this book leads to this Hebrew word, tukun olam, Hebrew for repairing the world, and shalom berit, peace in the home. So that this book, the goal, the author's goal of this book was to bring peace in the home and to actually make the world a better place, which marriage, if you think about it, you're raising children. Uh, you are, in essence, trying to make the world a better place by putting these little citizens out there and changing the world so remember that that's not to pressure you but that's what you're doing when you get married you're creating these little humans that you want to go and teach them how to make the world a better place and you're trying to make the home a peaceful place and my final thoughts is just communicate properly like all the time people 
seriously uh even if it is weird that's about it i hope you enjoyed that book summary the three-parter and next we'll be jumping into here's some tiktok wisdom and then into a book summary on how to raise kids i know what is this who am i am i having children no 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 i am just scared shitless of all this so i read about it and uh actually a little takeaway is i was just someone i admire an investor he calls these bunny hopping it bunny hopping is instead of taking these huge leaps towards your goals and desires just bunny hop meaning if somebody is starting a business but they just started don't start doing all your research on incorporating okay because that's what that's what's going to happen years down the road when you're making more money no just take the first step focus on how to get clientele raise your capital increase revenue no, like, like just take those little bunny hops and, and, and he's saying, because when you start to learn about things that are hypothetical, that won't happen for way down the road. Um, some of that stuff you're learning might be outdated at the time. So then by the time you get there, you have to relearn it again, which is, this is all contra contradictory because like I'm reading these books, scared shitless, even though I'm not even close to having kids or getting married. So really I should be bunny hopping. I shouldn't be reading this stuff till I'm about to get married or about to have kids, but I don't know. I think, I think. Um, the fear, sorry, well, the fear of the unknown is that's literally what it's called. And I was going to say to eradicate the fear of the unknown is to make something known. So by me learning this stuff, it is not an unknown entity anymore. And therefore I'm not going to be as scared about it. Cause I at least understand it. So there you go. There's my justification. That's why I do this. Thank you. And if you're thinking about doing something, bunny hop it. Okay. Unless you're scared shitless, then okay, sure. Learn more about it. So you're not scared, but then go right back to the bunny hops and just focus on, the uh, it's called the uh most necessary next step no the most important yeah mince the most important next step there's your takeaway as well look this is like the third takeaway whatever you want to do reverse engineer what is the most important next step is it opening the computer to, to click on a website to do whatever you want to do or and actually the most important next step before that is to get your tuchus off the ground and go to the computer right now so the most important next step is a 30 second task and isn't it funny and ironic that some people go 30 years just because they don't want to do a 30 second task and then after 30 years they're super unmotivated uninspired upset depressed pissed off at everybody because really they're pissed at themselves so they just piss everyone off all because they didn't take a 30 second step. So take a 30 second step, people. All right. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for tuning in. Take care. Shalom Aleichem. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, rate five stars. And I'll see you next week for children, raising children. It's called Beyond Intelligence. Enjoy. Let's get uh, look at this. I'm pretending like it's the intro. But, hey, enjoy your week. I'll see you next week to talk about that.